You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A surprise announcement today from Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson. When his term is over, he's done with local politics. Aaron MacArthur has more on Robertson's decision and reaction to it. Aaron. Chris, there's been a lot of speculation about Gregor Robertson's future. And as late as last October during the by-election, he said he was ready to give it another go. All that changed over the Christmas holidays. Really dug deep personally and made a decision uh, over the holidays uh, that I will not seek re-election. Ten years is a long time in politics. In a job as demanding as mayor of Vancouver, it can seem much longer. Change is coming to City Hall. An important part of leadership is to know when uh, it's time to make space for new leaders and new voices. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing that happen. Robertson was elected on a promise of big change at City Hall. Issues like bike lanes and greening the city were controversial. But the issue that dominated the last decade has been housing. Criticized for his perceived ties to developers, Vancouver has become gradually more unaffordable over the last 10 years. And his promises to end homelessness have fallen flat. I don't think it was too big a promise. I think it was something that could have been done. I think there were a number of mistakes made early on by inexperienced providers, inexperienced administration. In terms of maintaining Vancouver as a fantastic place to live if you can afford it, just a stupendous record over the last 10 years. Uh, in terms of making Vancouver more affordable, of course, uh, that's still unfinished business. Politics has cost Gregor Robertson a great deal. His private life made painfully public over the years. He says he has no plans to run for public office again. Not enough time with my family and friends for um, many years now. And that was part of uh, what uh, what I grappled with over the holidays. And especially at the level of mayor, where you're in the, in the spotlight all the time. And uh, so you have to respect that decision to do it uh, and then respect uh, his decision to leave it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we should thank the mayor for that commitment. Still lots left to do before the election in October. Transit a priority, the opioid crisis a priority, and unaffordability remains top of the list. Well, Aaron, let the speculation begin. Uh, any ideas about who might fill Gregor's shoes? Yeah, that is the interesting question today, isn't it? You know, uh, Vision Vancouver has had a lot of turnover. Uh, Andrea Reimer announced she was not running for re-election. Jeff Meggs uh, stepped away uh, last October, and now Gregor Robertson. It leaves someone in Vision, like Raymond Louie, uh, set to take the helm if he wants the job. But municipal politics, like a lot of politics, rely on name recognition. So it will be interesting to see if Vision Vancouver parachutes in someone with a little more cachet. And then on the other side of the aisle, the MPA, that, uh, that nomination is wide open as well. You can guarantee change at uh, City Hall, a new face at the helm come October. For sure. Ten more months of work to do, though, before we get there. Thanks very much, Aaron MacArthur, reporting live in Vancouver. Foreign owners are scooping up more Metro Vancouver real estate than you've been led to believe, at least according to a new analysis by urban studies expert Andy Yan. Ted Chernecki has a look at what Yan found and the call for severe restrictions on foreign ownership. 
Forget about all those cranes building the next wave of condos in the Lower Mainland. All but a few of these units have been spoken for a long time ago, and we really don't know who's been doing all the pre-buying. This data doesn't cover the issue of pre-sales. It only covers the documented ownership patterns that the uh, that CMHC and StatsCan were able to publish. And drilling deeper into those stats to see if there really is just 5% of foreign ownership in BC, as CMHC claims, SFU found that yes, that might be true province-wide, but in specific areas in the Lower Mainland, foreign buyers have been pouring in in droves. Condominiums that are worth over $1.5 million in Vancouver that you hit about 19% of those condos are, are being purchased by those who are non, uh, non-resident uh, owners. Richmond and Coquitlam are even higher at 22% of foreign buyers of condos priced above $1.5 million. But even lower-priced units, 800000 to $1 million, show 13% foreign ownership in Vancouver and 19% or 1 in 5 of all condos in Richmond and Coquitlam are owned by people who don't live there. There's 7.5 billion people in the world, and there's 4.5 million in BC. 7.5 billion people have a lot of capital. In tumultuous times, they're looking for a place to park it. What better place than to park it in Vancouver and, and British Columbia real estate? Weaver is already on record saying BC should follow New Zealand's lead and ban foreign buyers outright. There are, after all, serious economic consequences when real estate is too expensive for anyone but the worldwide rich. And I think that this does come in towards the question of what kind of families can really establish themselves in not only the city of Vancouver, but then metropolitan Vancouver. Everyone's heard there's a shortage of supply that's driving prices up. But take that foreign ownership out of the equation, and Metro Vancouver probably has a large surplus of condos. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The chainsaws cutting down trees in Surrey's Hawthorne Park went quiet today. Protesters fighting to stop a two-lane road through the park trespassed into the construction zone this morning, forcing crews to stop work on the project. The city has since asked the protesters to leave or take their protest outside of the fencing for everyone's safety. It would be premature to say that we would be proceeding with a court injunction. Uh, Presently, we're trying to deal with them uh, to leave on their own accord in a peaceful manner um, for not only their safety but for ours. Um, However, we are exploring all other options uh, that may may be needed to secure a safe work site. The city is hoping to have the trees removed by the end of the week, but that obviously could be delayed if protests continue. The project is set for completion in 2019 or possibly 2020. There's another major development in Surrey that some are unhappy with. A huge development in the Fleetwood area will turn part of the Eagle Quest Coyote Creek Golf Course into a multifamily development of more than 300 homes. But those living in the area say the plan is short-sighted. Jeff Hastings explains why. A major development proposal is about to tee off for the Eagle Quest Coyote Creek Golf Course. These holes may not be here much longer. We have a a mix of affordable townhomes, duplexes on the higher ridge, two levels, and a rental apartment down in the lower part by the uh, the access in the golf course. We don't want this. The community doesn't want it. Density is a dirty word in Surrey's Fleetwood neighborhood these days. The Anthem Properties proposal in its present form would see more than 300 homes accompanied by 4,000 square feet of commercial space. On paper, you know, it's not totally unattractive, but it's, it's, it's far overbuilt. Worried that expectations will exceed infrastructure. It's overcrowding, uh, traffic, 
uh, medical services. I mean, we're we're just inundated with uh, too much population too fast. It's not just about the view. There's worry that expectations will exceed infrastructure. Belief that this is going to be respectful development. It's going to be a community that people love. We're going to be able to apply that type of design overview that meets the needs of the community. Some park space will be preserved, and a new 12-hole golf course will be created from the remaining land. Surrey City Council will officially see the plan for the first time January 22nd. A public hearing will be held February 5th. Jeff Hastings, Global News. The driver and company involved in a deadly party bus accident in Vancouver have escaped any punishment because of delays and botched paperwork. 23-year-old Chelsea James died after falling out of a moving party bus back in 2016. A Vancouver police officer wrote the driver a ticket, but it was written incorrectly. A corrected ticket was never issued, and the deadline for filing anything now has passed. When you fill out a violation ticket, you either have the signature, uh, or if you don't have the signature, you fill out a certificate of service on the back of the violation ticket. In this case, the officer was required to fill out both. And it turned out to be in Victoria where they noticed this discrepancy and sent it back. That took, uh, by the time the officer got the ticket back, a year had passed, which was um, legislation where you cannot uh, proceed past that year. Investigators also determined the evidence did not meet the threshold for criminal charges. More details tonight about uh, that murder in Stanley Park last February. 29-year-old Tyler Anthony Lagamodier is charged with first-degree murder. But the killing is still shrouded in mystery. Ramina Dea explains what police are revealing today and why the charge is considered rare. The motive for the murder of amateur photographer, 61-year-old Lubomir Kunik, still a mystery. But Vancouver police are confident the killing was planned. I cannot speak specifically as to what was in the suspect's mind, and I hesitate to hypothesize about what ifs, but what I can say is that this was premeditated in nature and you can draw your own conclusions. Kunick was found suffering from stab wounds on the Stanley Park seawall on February 1st of last year. He died at the scene. Just six weeks after the murder, police say they identified 29-year-old Tyler Anthony Lagimodier as a suspect. He has an extensive criminal history. His DNA is on file. A complex investigation followed. Ten months later, Lajimodier has now been charged with one count of first-degree murder. It's on the seawall, it's in the winter, so it's very challenging because forensic evidence has a very short shelf life, but they were able to glean the tiniest piece of forensic evidence that then led them to the suspect. Kunick and the accused were strangers to each other. They had never met rendering the first-degree murder charge unusual, according to a criminal lawyer not connected to the case. So it's a little bit strange when you see a first-degree murder charge, when it's somebody who doesn't seem to have a connection, but it doesn't mean that, uh, that um, the person doesn't intend to go out there and kill somebody. Kunick's friends relieved a charge has been laid. The accused remains in custody. He's back in court January 17th. Ramina Dea, Global News. Some terrifying moments for a man and his teenage son, the victims of a violent home invasion in Abbotsford. It happened early this morning at a home in the 2200 block of Windsor Street. Three people wearing masks and carrying guns forced their way inside. The home is a licensed grow-up. 
The trio of thieves stole an undisclosed amount of pot, as well as a white Ford F-350 truck, which police later located. Anyone with information should contact Abbotsford Police or Crime Stoppers. Police need your help locating a man who allegedly threatened a SkyTrain passenger. It happened last Sunday on the SkyTrain at Nanaimo Station. That's a picture. The victim says after he boarded and sat down, he looked up to see the suspect standing over him, allegedly with a pair of scissors in his hand. The victim, who works at a bar, told police he recognized the suspect as someone who was banned from the bar after he was allegedly caught doing drugs in the washroom. The suspect, who apparently goes by the name Thomas, is described as in his late 50s, 5 feet 6 inches tall, with slicked back dark hair and what they describe as a crushed nose. Anyone who recognizes him is asked to contact transit police. Details now, though, of a plan by the province to address homelessness in Maple Ridge. Reporter John Waugh is in that community tonight. And, John, a tent city has been a major point of contention. What's the plan to deal with it? Yeah, that's right, Chris. We're here on Burnett Street, which seems to be a quiet residential neighborhood. On this side, you've got houses. You've actually just got a senior's home right behind me. But when you walk over to this side of the street, this site right behind me is actually the heart of the BC NDP's new plan to deal with the homelessness situation here in Maple Ridge. Now, many people will know that since the summer of 2015, the city's been dealing with homeless camps, one first on Cliff Avenue, the new current one on St. Anne's Avenue. Uh, the government has tried several times to propose locations for a shelter to be built to help disperse those camps. Both of those have been overturned with huge amounts of protest and outcry from the public. Now let's talk about this plan here. So the plan for this Burnett Street location is to move the Salvation Operation, which is on the west end of the Haney Bypass, over to here. And the Salvation Army will operate 40 shelter beds and on top of that, 40 supportive housing units. Now, the government is already working to buy this lot for $3.6 million and as well to have completion by the spring of 2019. But once again, considering the amount of outcry from the public due to the last locations were too close to commercial, you can imagine the backlash being this close to residential. Here's what the housing minister had to say. I think what's really important to, to recognize is that, that we have to be working together with the communities and we're committed to doing that, to making sure that, that people who uh, are challenged uh, have the resources that they need. Now, there are other parts to the government's plan. The previous Liberal government put $15 million on the table, and the city of Maple Ridge bought a property on Lougheed, hoping for a proposed shelter. That was overturned. They're still hoping those will both be on the table, but turn those into affordable housing for seniors and families. Now, of course, dealing with the camp right now, they are looking to modular housing. The government also looking to buy another lot for that and have it in operation for about one to two years. Chris? All right, John, thanks for the update. John Waugh in Maple Ridge, and now a heartbreaking consequence of B.C.'s affordable housing crisis, and particularly Metro Vancouver's near-zero vacancy rate. As Grace Key reports, a shocking number of people are being forced to give up their pets to find a place to live. <laughs> and you can see... <laughs> is that the show? One of Jax's favorite things to do is chase the pigeons. His owner, Nava Eaton, luckily didn't have much trouble finding a rental with her new puppy. But she did have to pay a premium for a deposit. I had to put a full month's um, deposit down just for the pet. So that's how they handled that, and, and I can understand that. You Might have been a little high. 
New numbers show pet owners handed over a total of 1,704 animals to the BCSPCA last year for housing-related reasons. That rounds up to five animals a day. No pets! No way! Pets OKBC is a group hoping to change that. In October, they held their first rally in Victoria after gathering 10,000 signatures on a petition to end no pets policies for renters and stratas. Tenants have an obligation to respect the property, respect the comfortable, quiet enjoyment of their neighbors. And so we feel that as long as they're doing those things, they should have a right to have pets in their own home that they are paying their own good money for. On padmapper.com, the red dots show available rentals. Once you add an animal into the mix, your choices start shrinking. Pets OKBC had its first meeting with the province about possible changes. So far, we have not had the kind of response we were hoping for. Um, we have been passed off to assistance of the ministry. We don't really trust that the message is getting through. In a statement, the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing says the need for additional rental supply is truly at the heart of the issue, adding they're working to build 114,000 new units of affordable housing over the next 10 years. Until then, more and more animal owners could be faced with the tough choice between housing and giving up their pet. Grace Key, Global News. VIP theaters, not enough for you? Well, how about this? An Australian company is bringing a brand new movie experience to Vancouver, Hot Tub Cinema. We'll bring 20 inflatable jacuzzis and a movie screen to a location still to be determined. Customers are served food and drinks in the hot tub while watching a movie. The experience will be here for six nights. The exact date for the legalization of pot is still up in the air, but that's not stopping one B.C. businessman from making some big plans. He's planning to build one of the largest marijuana farms in the country on Vancouver Island. Although, as Nitu Garcha reports, not everyone is on board. I think at this point we'll be the largest in Canada. This Vancouver Island businessman has big plans for an otherwise ordinary dairy farm in central Saanich. A 21 greenhouse marijuana growing facility covering more than 14 hectares at Stanhope Dairy Farm. This is Evergreen's second site uh, and will enable us to uh, embrace uh, future markets um, no matter how large they are. If approved, this facility will grow marijuana year round. The CEO of the company behind the half billion dollar operation says it will employ as many as 1,500 people. People. I would say it's beyond exciting, um, and in fact, it's quite overwhelming. But some neighbors who dealt with a foul-smelling composting operation on the same farm a few years ago say once bitten, twice shy. Once the facility is built, um, we start at the beginning to ensure that at the end, we don't have any problems with regard to scent or smell. Um, and uh, noise was another concern, um, but these operations um, are relatively quiet. And for this pig farmer who's lived right next door for more than 50 years, Come here. he's not okay with the plant going up on agricultural land, even though it doesn't require ALC approval. This will take away completely the opportunity for the new generations to come to do something with the land, only then in the greenhouses. The greenhouse you can put anywhere. This is agriculture. We are growing plants. We are producing a product that people need. I can think of no other way to generate billions of dollars in revenue on such a small piece of land. The company plans to submit an application to the municipality next week to get approval to move dirt and construct. But Health Canada has given the green light for the first phase of the project. The company hopes shovels will hit the ground this spring, with plants growing by this fall. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Central Saturday. Turn around!
run. The flash flood's right there. The flash flood's right there. Get out of here. Go. Oh my God, Mom. Close the door. Get, get, get ready to go out. Wake Dad up. Amazing video. California resident Marco Farrell captures the terrifying moments a flash flood crashes into his neighborhood. After warning that driver, Farrell scrambles to get his parents out of the house. A few hours later, he posted on Facebook that the family is safe, but their house was full of mud and his car had been washed away. Just one of thousands of personal tragedies caused by California's torrential rain and destructive mudslides. Tonight in Montecito, the heartbreak is as overwhelming as the destruction. <laughs> this is where Hayden Gower is searching for his mother, 69-year-old Josie. And the water and mud just flew in. It, it took them by surprise. The grandmother of three was home when a wall of mud barreled through her bedroom. I don't know how far she could have been swept. I don't know. <laughs> in the hills outside Santa Barbara, neighbors, friends, and family are searching for loved ones. At least 24 are unaccounted for. James and Alice Mitchell, retirees, were home when the storm hit. When I don't know where my parents are, and it's, it's a horrific feeling. Total, total devastation. The place looks like a, a war zone. Rescue teams plucked more than 50 survivors after the powerful winter storms. We were there yesterday when firefighters discovered 14-year-old Lauren Canton buried alive for more than six hours. Friends say her mother was also rescued, but tonight Lauren's brother and father are missing, feared to have been washed away. The team that saved Lauren is searching for her family today. Oprah Winfrey posting on social media from her Montecito home. That's my neighbor's house, devastated, and uh, debris everywhere. The first of at least 15 victims has been identified as Roy Roeder. His wife survived the slide. Tonight, the rescue effort is growing more desperate. Hayden Gower is running out of time. Is I don't know what to do. I don't know. They haven't found us, so I'm going to do anything I can. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is facing protesters and some tough questions as he embarks on a cross-country town hall tour. In Hamilton today, a heckler was angry about the $10.5 million government payout to former Guantanamo Bay prisoner Omar Cotter. In the future, no Canadian government should ever think it's okay to allow a Canadian, no matter how unpopular they may be, to be tortured. That is not how we do things in Canada. Last night in Nova Scotia, Trudeau was asked about being the first prime minister to break conflict of interest laws for accepting gifts from the Aga Khan during a trip back in 2016, he answered that while he should have handled the situation differently, the ruling showed the system works. 
It is one of the most terrifying and heartbreaking diseases for an aging population. Dementia and Alzheimer's disease can devastate families. And even though awareness has increased, the stigma and negative attitudes haven't changed. Linda Aylesworth reports on a new campaign to destigmatize the disease and the nearly one million Canadians it will soon affect. Mario Gregorio took up photography 10 years ago, shortly after he was diagnosed with dementia. There will be less and less social interaction with people, so uh, this is another way of uh, filling in my time. As if being diagnosed at the age of 58 with a degenerative illness for which there is no cure wasn't bad enough, when word got out, his friends were all of a sudden unfriending him from Facebook and ignoring his emails. A little bit disconcerting in the sense that um, it's more like, hey, I'm still here, guys, kind of thing. And yet they don't, they seem reluctant to start conversation. Mario was finding out the hard way that dementia is often accompanied by stigma, which causes its own harmful symptoms. Stigma means feeling that you're inferior, that you're stupid, that you are incompetent, that you're incapable. Misinformation about dementia, which includes diseases like Alzheimer's, results in many losing support at a time when they need it most. And so the Alzheimer's Society has launched an awareness campaign, ilivewithdementia.ca. They need to understand that the person is still the person. They are not changed. Their skills and abilities might be changed, but the person themselves at core is the same as they ever were. It's true that things get more challenging. Mario can't cook anymore. He might forget the stove's on, and if something burns... Unfortunately, the sound of the smoke alarm doesn't mean anything to me, just noise. And words and thoughts can unexpectedly elude him. The awareness that uh, uh, there's no... I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. (laughs) But he is still very much Mario. Don't stay away because you feel sad that they're changing. Be glad that you've had this relationship and sustain it as well as you can. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In other health news tonight, break out the Caesar salad. Health Canada has ended its warning about romaine lettuce, saying the health risk has returned to low. A warning was issued last month after an E. coli outbreak was linked to romaine. Health Canada is no longer advising consumers to restrict themselves to other types of lettuce. So help yourself to romaine salad. Now, though, Hollywood is in an uproar tonight over reports of a massive gender wage gap. USA Today says during reshoots of the movie All the Money in the World, actor Michelle Williams was paid less than 1% of what her male co-star earned. I have no money to spare. Tonight, outrage over all the money in the world and all the money star Mark Wahlberg reportedly made compared to co-star Michelle Williams. Set my boy free. According to USA Today, Wahlberg earned $1.5 million for reshooting scenes in the movie, while Williams earned less than $1,000 in per diem fees for her retakes. The do-over's necessary after Kevin Spacey was dropped from the film and replaced by Christopher Plummer amid allegations of Spacey's sexual misconduct. Hollywood stars were quick to weigh in. Jessica Chastain tweeting she deserves more than 1% of her male co-star's salary. Sophia Bush calling it hard evidence of the gender gap, negotiated by the same agents, no less. Williams and Wahlberg are both represented by William Morris Endeavor. 
Neither the agency nor its stars has responded to requests for comment. I was told she was aware of the disparity. Did she agree? Because really what she was facing is a choice of do it for this much or there will be no movie. Last month, director Ridley Scott told USA Today everyone did the reshoots for nothing. In previous interviews, Williams has said she was willing to waive her salary to save the film. I'd just been heartsick for weeks thinking about how this thing that we loved uh, making um, was going to be all for naught. Many now asking if all the money should have given more to its female co-star. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. All right, quickly back to that dramatic security video of a suspected car thief in Modesto, California, who picked the wrong time to disobey traffic laws. The Honda Civic at the top right pulls away from a stop sign right into the path of a police vehicle, which doesn't have a stop sign. Now, both vehicles are damaged but still drivable, so you see the driver of the Honda takes off in the direction he came from, the officer in hot pursuit, the officer lost sight of the Civic, and police are still looking for it and the driver. Again, the driver suspected of stealing that Honda Civic. Bad time to run into a cop if you're in a stolen vehicle. Let's see if it's going to be smooth sailing through the weather forecast right now. Dealing with a few technical gremlins, but uh, Yvonne's got it all sorted out, or... So we hope. Yes. On, take it away. Fingers crossed. So we've been in a break between systems today and very active in the stormy day ahead for tomorrow. I'll show you all the watches and warnings in just a moment. Seven as the high today. Average for this time of the year typically sits at five degrees. Big weather sister and two big weather stories that we're following. We've got this cool Arctic air that's pushing in moisture from this next defined system. Most areas across the coast will be falling as rain and very heavy at times. And inland sections, the interior and higher elevations, we're looking at a significant amount of snow. The following areas, as we advance the graphic, especially for interior sections, we have the potential to see anywhere between 15 and up to 20 centimeters of snowfall. Inland sections for the northern half of the province, wind chill at minus 20. And today, area news near Whitehorse saw the wind chill at minus 45. The next graphic, as we do look ahead, we are looking at that uh, rain sticking around over the next few days. Potentially, we can, uh, if we can see if we can advance the graphic just up in the control room. There we go. Here's where we're also trying the snowfall anywhere between 15 and up to 20 centimeters. It'll develop overnight and heavy at times throughout the day on Thursday and then tapering off towards the evening hours. The next graphic is going to show us that we do have the potential for the following areas into the Fraser Valley to see snow. We'll just advance that graphic and the risk of freezing rain. That'll be for the Fraser Valley stretching in towards Chilliwack and areas near Hope as well. Also, a special weather statement has been issued for Whistler and into Howe Sound where we're looking at the potential for very very heavy snowfall, and that's what we're tracking, especially for the overnight period. Cross Metro Vancouver, that's what we'll be looking at, this, uh, the rainfall, higher elevations, even along the North Shore Mountains. We could see a bit of that wet snow throughout the day tomorrow. The heaviest rainfall will be for Thursday. It'll start to ease off on Friday. We've got a bit of a gremlin in the system, Chris, but as we get in towards the weekend, we'll start to see some breaks. When we come back at the end of the show, I'll show you a five-day forecast, and we'll get to some of the birthdays as well. All right, we sure will. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Squire Barnes joins us now with a little yes. sports. Hopefully those gremlins do not enter <laughs> this area. <laughs> they don't they never they never hang around the sports department. They do, well they don't. We're <laughs> we're like an unruly motley crew. You don't really want to hang out with us. Okay, but here we go. In fact, we've been accused of being gremlins. Don't feed us after midnight. Wasn't that the idea in gremlins? I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, think about what this Canuck season would look like if there was no Brock Besser. 
you would be watching Louis Erickson to see how little $6 million a year buys you in goals. It would be like going to a Jay-Z concert and only his DJ shows up. Besser has given the Canuck fans a reason to be interested, something to be proud of. And today he was told he will play in the All-Star game on January 28th in Tampa Bay. He's just the second Canuck rookie ever to make the All-Star game. I thought, well, I guess the other is Pavel Burry. No, Squire was wrong. The actual other rookie Canuck to make the All-Star game was Dale Talon in the Canucks' very first ever season. And to be honest with you, Squire's been wrong many times. Um, I don't remember. At mid-season, Besser would be the NHL's Rookie of the Year if they handed out awards in January. He's been the Rookie of the Month for November and December. Point-of-game guy, 22 goals. He has scored almost 20% of the Canucks' goals. If you add in his assist, he's been involved in about 40% of their goals. If he doesn't get fatigued in the second half, as some college players have in their rookie year, he could score over 40 this season. I'm not sure about 50, but 40 is possible. All right. United Center, the other night, Chicago put Brent Seabrook in the press box. Not been playing well. Take a look and see what happens when he come back. Well, he came back and he scored. Good for him. Local guy, great resume, played a lot of hockey, a lot of big-time hockey. That gave Chicago a 1-0 lead over Minnesota. The Wild tied it in the second period, though. Jonas Brodeen shot somehow, well, tips right there off of Blackhawk and then gets over the shoulder. 1-1 in the second period. Speaking of Chicago, they made a trade today with the Coyotes. They get Anthony Duclair for uh, Panic and Dauphin, and former Canuck Adam Clendenning, who played 17 games here a few years ago. Uh, Duclair is a key in this trade. He's young, he's fast, but he has struggled, and uh, he wanted out of Arizona. They weren't happy with him, and he wasn't happy with them. The Whitecaps are very close to signing Mexican midfielder Efrain Juarez to a contract for this year. It's a good pickup, considering Vancouver could lose Bolaños or Laba. He is 29 years old, played for Mexico's national team 39 times, was at the World Cup in 2010, played for Glasgow Celtic at one time as well, was recently a member of Monterey in the Mexican League. Carl Robinson likes him because he's played both midfield and defender, and as we just mentioned, he has international pedigree. His background is he likes to play in midfield. Uh, he will play in midfield for me. Uh, he will increase the competition in central midfield, so he's predominantly being brought in to play uh, as a central midfield player. Bringing Effie in, who's a character guy, is very important, and his experience. I think we've lost a lot of experience with, with Jordan, with AJ, with David. Um, so bringing in a 40 cap Mexican player, um, who's played at the top level in major tournaments uh, and played in the Liga MX, as we know, in, in finals, is very important. 17-year-old Alfonso Davies. If he keeps improving, one day you're going to be hearing us talk about him leaving the Whitecaps for a bigger team in Europe. But because he's still under 18, he's a Whitecap. But the list of teams taking a very close look at him is quite impressive. Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, they've all shown interest. They've all looked at him. Um, Alfonso's our player, and I'm delighted to call him our player because he's got a big future for this football club. You know, what I can, uh, cannot answer to you is whether he will be here for 10 years, unfortunately. Um, you know, and you'll never get that answer from me. You know, I want Alfonso to play and play at his level as he can, but 
It's important footballers. I've been there myself, so I know you need a, a mental break as well as a physical break. And he's, he's got that now. So we'll go into the Canada camp. He'll get a, a step up on some of the guys who'll come in in two weeks' time, fitness-wise. Um, but he should be fit. He's 17 years of age, so he should be able to run all day. But I expect him to have a good year. Well, everyone is uh, waiting to see if the Hamilton Ticats can get Johnny Manziel to sign a contract with them. Manziel's agent has given the Ticats until the end of this month to get a deal done. If not, maybe a different CFL team could take a run at him and see if they could sign him. Um, according to Hamilton's boss, Kent Austin, Manziel has the skills to succeed if he keeps his head in the game and if he adapts to the land of wide fields and three downs. He's a talented player, and you don't see many of those players come along very often. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily equal success early. Uh, you know, Doug Flutie, uh, Anthony Cabello, there's plenty of players that you can cite in the past uh, that needed some time to, to understand our game and to get used to the nuance of our game because it, it is a different game up here. Seattle Seahawks have made two assistant coaches walk the plank for missing the playoffs this year. Gone or offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel and offensive line coach Tom Cable. The Seahawks' offense was dreadful this year, mainly because the offensive line was bad, and that was Cable's domain. In fact, he was given power on which linemen the Seahawks would draft. No replacements have been named. There you go. Fresh snow fell on the mountains over the last 24 hours. Much more to come later tonight and tomorrow, too. Basin Whistler Blackcomb, 188 centimeters. Grouse, 223. Cypress, 247. Sasquatch, 232. Revelstoke, a base of 184 centimeters. Manning Park, 124. And Powder King, 185. Big White in the Southern Interior, base of 180, 167, Silver Star, 140 at Sun Peaks, and 146 centimeter base at Apex. Coming up on ET Canada, new sexual scandals for James Franco and Michael Douglas. Plus, we're with Andy Cohen in New York City to discuss his friendship with Anderson Cooper and his favorite guest of all time. That's all coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. All right, it doesn't get much more Canadian than this. A group of New Brunswick good old boys needed a better way to clear off the community rink. And what they built is an example of what happens when opportunity and ingenuity collide. This is what you call good old-fashioned Canadian country boy ingenuity. Evan uh, likes to refer to as a Cadillac. She drives like a Cadillac, I guess. <laughs> Frustrated with trying to manually flood the outdoor community rink, James Dorcas had an aha moment. I looked at the wife one night and said, do you mind if I take the lawnmower and make Zamboni out of it? And of course, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy and stuff. When he first told me about it, I laughed a bit. But it didn't take long to convince his buddies to haul that old 1990s mower down to the rink. Got his mini excavator down and dug it through the snow and started tearing it apart. We took the mower deck off and added some water tanks and a blade for scraping the ice. And Gathered up some scrap wood and metal from an old bed frame, fashioned on some headlights, a blue light for safety, of course, and voila. And even though they have to fill the tanks with buckets, she's far more productive than a hose and a shovel. And let's face it, a whole lot more fun. How's she drive? Oh, just like a dream. You're not breaking any records. No, 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 no land speed records. <laughs> I've had uh, a few people call me and ask to tell me to make sure I get a patent on that. And so they figure maybe I'll be getting lots of orders for these. <laughs> Is there a heater on this sucker? Wherever he comes off the motor. <laughs> no, no, not really. And once they get it going, they don't dare shut it off. Uh, might not start again. <laughs> 
It is a lawnmower. It is a lawnmower and it's January. <laughs> but just the sight of it is indeed warming hearts. Just seeing the kids in the community come out and use it and uh, use the rink and seeing everybody get a laugh over the Zamboni, I guess, and, and that's really been the best part. Shelly Steves, Global News, SD Bridge. That was cool. All those characters sound like guys from Letter Kenny. It's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Right down to the blue light. They did well. Yeah. Got the dimensions right. Hey, uh, a lot of people concerned because they've been hearing fireworks downtown. Was it just a five-minute display? Apparently around 6.30 to 6.45, there's a conference down there, so they organized a fireworks display for five minutes. Nothing to it. Don't worry. Nothing's exploding. It's not gunfire. It's just fireworks. <laughs> nice. All right, uh, before we go, a couple of uh, mentions. Yeah, a few birthday announcements. We start off with a belated one from yesterday. Georgette Lando from Chase celebrating 103. A happy birthday this evening to Ken McLennan, rather, from Penticton celebrating 102. And a happy birthday to Kath. Katrina Folk from Abbotsford celebrating 107. So congratulations to all of you. Huge milestone. So I hope you've had wonderful birthdays. For the forecast, we are going to see rain interior sections and stretching into the valley. We are looking at the potential for freezing rain and snow. So stay tuned and tune in tomorrow morning. Mark Rodrigo will have your forecast. Okay, but sun eventually, right? Eventually. Some eventually. breaks on the weekend. Okay, good. We'll, we'll live with that. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Thank you, Squire, and thanks for watching. Have a great night.